and welcome to the final episode of round one here on the Cage Fight podcast. The uh, final episode oh no. of Cage Fight. <laughs> Wait, you're 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 telling me we're gonna watch good films soon? No, I I can't. I, can't, I don't know if I'm ready for that quite yet. <laughs> As someone who sat through thirty six bad movies thus far. I am very ready for it. But don't worry, there will be some bad ones in the next round, too. I mean, for instance, some of the winners from this round and like some of the ones that just got a bye week into the next round. There's all sorts of stuff. Luckily, all the movies uh, that advanced from this round were super good. So we don't have to worry about any stinkers making it through to the second round. I'm playing the devil's abacus. Oh, OK. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. Did you, play, did you say you're playing the devil's abacus? Is that what you said? Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. You never heard that phrase before? <laughs> it's a common <laughs> phrase. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, these are, uh, these are the greatest movies ever made. John C. Zandley, that shit was tight. Amazing. We, I wish we hadn't watched Zandley because now I can't come without watching it. Or without some cocaine and olive oil shoved up your ass. <laughs> but, um, oh yeah. Well, I guess we should introduce ourselves. Uh, I'm Jess. I'm Mike. I am Taylor, and uh, today I got a one-way plane ticket to Pakistan in the Middle Ages just to record this episode. I mean, Pakistan knows how to party, um, and not a lot of people know that. But maybe if they watch some of the movies that we've watched, or if they just go to Pakistan, they would see that the place is pretty cool. There's a reason why they call it Islamabad, because it gets, it gets bad up there, dude. Oh, yeah. It <laughs> gets bad right now, yeah, but fuck me, right? My introduction? Okay. No. Uh, oh. As nearly always, we've got Dave on the boards, unfortunately. Hey. Uh, stinking up hey, the place Dave. with his fucking... Cousin. I will pitch ship the fuck out of you. Um, You're doing great, you Dave. You know, it's it's very lovely you joined us, Dave. Um, you know, honestly, how many times have we fucking fired this dude? Or He's not listening, right? How many times have we fired this dude? And he keeps coming back. I, I think I've lost count of how many times we fired him. God ridiculous it's just always around though but um i'm going in the other room <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. just ignore the help uh, hi dave today we'll be talking to you about the movies season of the witch and army of one both fairly recent movies came out in the 2010s decade which is basically pete cage uh some of uh his best films released in this era yes oh, absolutely yeah as we all know nick cage really peaked as an actor and as a performer in the last like decade or so for sure yeah widows peaked am i right <laughs> yeah but yeah some of his other hits from this decade include like uss indianapolis men of courage and oh yeah the runner <laughs> such Ooh, wonderful hits. good one good pull yeah pay the ghost i think yeah i think pay the ghost was that decade so basically our favorites oh, uh, yeah. besides Zandali. You know, that's the thing. You make it make it a 90s animated TV show and it's uh, pay the ghost coast to coast. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Space Ghost also streaming on HBO now. And uh, I will tweet at them to pay us uh, after this plug. So, oh, hell yes. They had all that budget for Game of Thrones and it's not being spent on that anymore. So, like, what the hell are they going to spend it on? Us, yeah, baby. Silicon Valley or something. Sick. No, I mean, I was I was gonna say we need some of that Amelia Clark titty money from uh, <laughs> HBO. So I'm I'm ready for that sponsorship whenever. Hell yes. Uh, we should move on to the movies now. I guess uh, actually start talking about these things. I mean, if you if you really want to, are you sure you really want to do that on Cage Fight? I feel like it's kind of redundant, don't you think? It's kind of unnecessary. Yeah, we've done a lot of that in the past, and I think maybe we should just move forward and just do different things with the show. Uh, but. 
yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like just for the fans, we got to give it at least one last hurrah. Uh, you know, I agree. Send it out. Yeah, at some point, uh, Fred Durst Friday is just going to um, kind of the blob style take over our entire podcast. So that's what I'm hoping for, to be honest. That's kind of why I got on here so I could like take over the whole show creatively and kind of push you all out. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a stepping stone. But uh, for, for that last hurrah, we're going to go with Season of the Witch, the one you've all been waiting for. Uh, this is a movie that came out in 2011. Great year, you know. Um, Great year. That was the year that we got Bin Laden, <laughs> which will be very yeah! relevant the next epi- uh, for the next movie. Uh, we got him, folks. <laughs> we got him. But uh, this movie's rated PG-13 and was directed by Dominic Senna, who we just saw a movie of his last episode uh you're kidding (laughs) you're kidding you're joking with me i i have a question jess i've been on a couple episodes why are all of these movies trending and kind of bleeding into each other and with regards to their creative influences i don't understand all this you have same directors actors themes it's like come on well i think it's because we carefully planned out this bracket and arranged things just for that uh to to show everything Hey, that that makes a lot of sense. Everything uh, we do is super calculated and intentional. Um, and any coincidences that have happened to sneak in, um, to quote my buddy Gary Faulkner, uh, are you know acts of God. So acts of Russell Brand. Yeah, but we're not talking about that movie yet. <laughs> I, we, we, I think we clearly want to talk about that one. But um, so uh, this was produced by Atlas Entertainment with a budget of forty million dollars and. Can y'all guess the box office gross? What are y'all feeling on this one? I'm feeling it made forty million dollars and like forty million and one dollars. I think it just barely broke its budget. Uh, I'm gonna say that it made thirty nine 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 million. Oh, so okay, y'all are so going like Price is Right style. You're playing <laughs> the Price is Right rules. Fuck you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, y'all are. Fuck. Both under its ninety-one point six million dollars. That means this is a movie oh, in shit. the fucking black. That's eleven oh, out of thirty-seven shit. movies. Honestly, out of out of all the movies I've seen on Cage Fight so far, I'm shocked that this was one of the ones that did. Yeah, I mean, like, I had heard of this movie and I thought I was familiar with it, but upon watching it, realized that none of it was familiar at all. And I just think it's cool that Nick Cage was in a Halloween sequel. <laughs> where he goes to a uh, mask factory in uh, Northern California and uh, experiences some very spooky Celtic like ritual stuff. Yeah, you oh. see, when they made this movie, they were trying to uh, meet John Carpenter's original wishes of it being a, more of an anthology series. Um, and so they removed the titular character, uh, John Halloween, and they inserted Nicolas Cage, who plays the titular witch. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't I don't think we should get into the plot before we actually get into the plot. You know what I mean? Like, no, save, yeah, save it for that section. I, th- I think we should let Jess lead this because she clearly took a lot of notes. So, oh, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. This has an 11 percent from the critics, 30 percent audience rating, though. So that's all the uh, general facts I have. Mike, you got some extra special trivia for us? Um, I don't have a ton of trivia this time around, uh, but I have I do have a few interesting tidbits. Um so for whoever is keeping the list of all the shit that Nicolas Cage has learned to do for his roles, oh, you know, we should really be noting this. I feel, uh, you know, learning Navajo and Japanese and how to drive a car 10 different ways. He learned how to ride a horse for this movie. So he can basically that's like every kind of vehicle. 
Uh, yeah. can, this man can uh, travel there's... no matter the time period, no matter the means, no matter the distance. He will get you there. Yeah, he can even he get to Pakistan by boat, probably. Yeah. No, he uh, he goes the fucking distance, dude. I mean, literally, is there any type of travel, either like domestic, international, interstellar, that he cannot do? If so, we haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, this was directed by Dominic Senna, as we mentioned, but apparently, um, there was uh, like an extensive uncredited reshoot by Brett Ratner. Uh, so maybe Dominic Senna made a big doo doo out of this. I don't really know what that's about. You know, you know, a movie is good when reshoots have to happen, and it's directed by the guy who made the fucking worst X Men movie. Oh, that's who it is. God. Yeah. <laughs> if if anybody can save the day it's gonna be him um that's all i'm saying you know people will probably uh, hate me for this but i haven't seen any x-men movie that came out after the third x-men was that last stand what the fuck oh wait no i yeah no the, the last stand was the one he made the last stand was the one he directed what the fuck wait, i did see the one where he's in japan i think actually but that's it <laughs> that's honestly not a bad one i like that movie what the fuck? <laughs> Mike is offended. Um, yes, and uh, um, so this uh, this movie was in development hell for eleven years. Uh, oh took, my god! It took eleven years to get this onto the screen. Um, it bounced from MGM to Columbia, and then eventually Relativity. No. Uh, the reason it was in there for eleven years because it was moving at relativistic speeds. And yeah, uh, time it's a. Uh, it's a Hollywood darling, um, and I think that is evident in how many people have touched it and then stopped. <laughs> just like me. <laughs> so many people have touched me and just stopped. <laughs> but um, only because you're, you're so lovable that it's frightening. <laughs> like this movie. <laughs> the movie is very scary, though. I was a little spooked when I was looking up for my phone. <laughs> I'll be honest, I, I kind of I kind of pissed myself a little bit while watching it. It just got me that scared and frankly excited. And uh, that's that's all the trivia I really have. Uh, it was written by um, a guy named Bragi F. Shoot. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon. Who, that sounds like Malcolm I'm, Brogdon's. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's Malcolm Brogdon's <laughs> pen name. Uh, and he also wrote the 2019 film Escape Room, which I have not seen, uh, but I, I've heard is not great. So <laughs> I've heard I've heard very similar things. So I guess then moving on into the plot summary, we'll uh, we'll just jump right into it. So this movie opens with a title zooming in on a book. And then immediately after that cuts very abruptly to three women screaming and crowds cheering, which I don't know that I've ever actually seen a movie that opens into loudness this quickly. Like usually the noise kind of fades in. <laughs> you know what I mean? This one was just immediately like, like <laughs> yeah, uh, it went from zero to six, uh, sexy right away. So absolutely, a hundred percent. Like the opening of this this movie got me hard as fuck. So it was, it was pretty good. But yeah, there's uh, three women being dragged screaming, so we know what Taylor likes um, to be hanged for witchcraft, and they all get accused. And one of them is like, "I don't know, I was just making like lotion or something. I wasn't making any potions. <laughs> lotion, not potions." <laughs> but uh, and then another one says like. Uh, you will burn for what you're doing. Bah. And so they all get hung. 
and then the priest goes around after to read. You know what? That the fucking priest, and because I've been just so brain poisoned by the show, I thought that priest for a second was Peter Stormare, and I'm like, is there Peter Stormare in another fucking Nick Cage movie? I, the fuck? I really hope he's in more. So far, he's the most uh, recurring actor out of everyone. <laughs> seriously like and i and i i had to look it up just to be sure but it, it was not peter stormare and i was like god damn it <laughs> it was suspiciously absent this week which was pretty upsetting uh so the priest goes around to the corpses of the witches to read the book of solomon to prevent the witches from resurrecting but he is killed by a resurrected witch because he didn't do it quickly enough so one thing I got to say for absolutely no reason here, because I don't really care about historical accuracy, but it's just a fun fact. Uh, while there was definitely a like, condemnation of witchcraft throughout Europe in the Middle Ages, mostly associating it with devil worship, uh, witch trials didn't really begin until the late 15th century after the publication of the book The Malleus Maleficarum. You should look that up if you can. It's 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 uh, very interesting, the, the history that surrounds witchcraft. This is 13th century right now? 13th century, yeah. It's the Crusades. Yeah, and also another fucking Nicolas Cage movie set in the Crusades. Like, come on. It, it is kind of weird that Taylor came on and suddenly we have all these, like, old period pieces. Because I don't think anything we watched before that had taken place in... Uh, medieval times we've been saving these for you dude yeah i don't think anything we'd even watch besides like some world war ii movies were period pieces but uh so cage and ron perlman are crusaders and they're in the front of the pack being real cocky like betting about who's gonna kill more cage is really half-assing the delivery of his lines here <laughs> like and his hair looks like shit yeah you know I, I think it's honestly i think it's really funny that hellboy is on the side of god in this movie yeah he's a faithful that had to be god. intentional i was fucking rolling on the floor laughing from that one but uh so they break into a city and in the chaos after breaking through the city walls cage stabs a woman who's just a civilian uh i couldn't tell if that was an accident or intentional but he immediately feels really, really guilty about it and looks around at all the slain oh, women and children. I'm I'm gonna say just by the just by the way that Nicolas Cage acts in a lot of his movies, him stabbing a woman would probably be intentional. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you true. you saw what he did in Wicker Man, right? I he did. literally knocked a woman out while he's wearing a bear suit for fuck's sake, yeah. dude. Come on. Between Wicker Man think, and, uh, and fucking Zandali and uh, I'm sorry, Mike. Oh, and Firebirds too. But in the director's cut, um before stabbing her, he says, uh that's something about how like nice guys um, never get the girl and they only like douchebags. Yeah, they cut out a whole incel rant before it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he feels really guilty looking around at all the slain civilians. Uh, I have in my notes, this is weirdly like outcast. <laughs> which... yeah, no, it's like a, the, the exact same scene as outcast. Like it's like, oh, he's seen dying in the crusades then he has to like desert it's the exact same fucking scene it's just the only difference that hayden christensen's role in this movie is ron perlman's character basically yeah but yeah cage is disgusted by the civilian murders and he convinces perlman to leave with him and stop fighting in this war it will no longer serve the church they they're, they're mad at the church's crusades which cool i love how like they could go probably like years of just constant bloody warfare but the second they see a couple dead people it's like oh i i, I think we're kind of fucking up here and it's like you guys literally went all the way through fucking europe into turkey and now you're like oh no this shit's too much dude like yeah. what the fuck and these guys sacked constantinople and belgrade and they're just like no that's fine and then they get to turkey and they're like no nah, this shit's fucked up honestly yeah. Like, what yeah nowadays <laughs> killing civilians is just basic training 
I honestly think these guys are just like really big, like uh, Turkish nationalists, and they just killed a couple Turkish people. And like, oh shit, this is really fucked up. We can't do this <laughs> yeah, not anymore. They want to go kill uh, Armenians instead. <laughs> Um, after this we see them wander into a town that's infected with the plague that i think is supposed to be i don't know they make mentions to a couple of areas that are in like former czechoslovakia i looked at the i looked at the subtitle and it's in uh stereo which is in modern day austria and slovenia so could like in that general area slovenia okay oh i thought someone mentioned like prague but um or Praha. So yeah, like probably like yeah, Czech Republic, Austria, that general area. Okay. But yeah, they wander into a town, it's infected with the plague, and uh somebody sees like the crest on their swords and they're arrested for desertion. So they're taken before Christopher Lee, who has the shortest little cameo in this movie. Uh and a fucked up face. Yeah. He's dying of the plague, and so they've got some crazy like bubonic makeup on him. Yeah, um, it was nasty. Uh, yeah so christopher lee is like some church official i don't know but he tells them that the town has been cursed with the plague caused by the black witch and they say the witch who is currently imprisoned has to be taken to a monastery where there are some monks there that can determine if she really is a witch and if she is there's a book there the book of solomon that they can use to destroy her i don't know um so they're like you guys are gonna do this right cage and perlman and they're like cage is like no then they're sitting in prison and Cage sees the witch crying and changes his mind. I don't know if his thought was he was going to release her, but he's like, oh, I see the witch lady is just really sad about this. Well, I guess I'll go take her to be killed. <laughs> Put her out of her misery, you know? Yeah, fuck it. They uh, head out with the witch, whose name is Anna, uh, locked in a cart, along with a guide who was a merchant who was arrested uh but he got pardoned so he could guide them through the woods. Uh, a monk, whose name I don't remember, and some dude named Johan, who I don't know what he is or why he's with them. Uh, he, he did something in town, I don't know, but he's, he's going with them. They're going to travel to the monastery through a forest where many people get lost. On the way out, they find they're being followed by a young guy who says he wants to pledge his service to them and become a knight. They initially say no, but after a small fight where he holds his own with Ron Perlman, they let him join. Uh, his name is Kay, I think. Kay Von Woolenbarth. There are so many consequential character names. A lot of names being tossed around and not enough time to really grasp who is who and why we have to yeah, care no, about them. And frankly, I went into more detail. There's so many developments. Oh, the movie's just not that long, so it's hard to remember everyone's names just because of how much character development there is. Uh, Anna, while locked up, manages to get the key to her cage from uh, the monk and escapes. And they follow her to some weird catacombs somewhere in the middle of nowhere with a mass grave. And Kay, the new kid, uh, kills Johan by mistake when he comes at him charging out of nowhere because Johan is hallucinating and thinks Kay is his daughter. It was the mass grave hypnotizing him. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't understand a lot of what was happening there. I think the implication was that Anna was... Um, putting some sort of spell on him to see something different. But once they capture her again, she cries and begs not to be taken back, saying she didn't want to be touched by uh, the monk guy again. Can't be in his presence. But then there's a completely inconsequential scene where they come across a rickety suspension bridge and have some troubles crossing it. Um, and uh, once they get across it and set up camp, the guide guy just suggests that they kill Anna and head back. 
So Anna calls out a wolf's call. I think it's supposed to be ambiguous as to who did it, but it's just very clearly a human making a wolf call. It is not a wolf. And some wolves attack them all, and uh, they run away to escape, but their guide is separated and eaten. And the wolves look magical. They got weird, like, scrunchy CGI faces. Um, they get to the monastery, and all of the monks are dead of plague. So they take the Book of Solomon that's laying there, the one with the special verse, and start reading it to Anna to, you know, kill her because she's a witch. And um, she suddenly becomes really monstrous looking, melts the bars that are keeping her in the cart, and becomes like a gargoyle thing and flies somewhere into the monastery. We, we do need to reiterate how amazing the CG is in this movie. It is very good. So good. Like, when she turned on the gargoyle thing and those wolves, I was just like, holy fuck, are there wolves and gargoyles in my living room right now? Like, it really fucked me up. Yeah, it was it was kind of terrifying how photorealistic it was because, you know, even for this time, 2011, which, like, yeah, CGI has gotten a bit better in the interim, but uh, I don't know. This could stand up to anything I've seen today. This is up there with, like, The Rock, The Scorpion King, and um, The Mummy oh, Returns. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Some of the you know, honestly, I bought um, I bought the 3D Blu-ray release of this film along with Outcast recently from Germany, <laughs> and it was, it was really amazing to me just how photo like realistic all the CG in this movie was. I literally felt like it was in my living room, and I'm like, oh my god, mm-hmm. how how is a movie like this never been watched by anybody except for basically us? <laughs> this is the movie that pushed me. Uh, I'm finally gonna buy a uh, 3D curved uh, German TV um, to watch all the future movies with because if they're anything like this. Um, I'm going to want to see uh, every last detail, you know? I want to see every fucking pore on Ron Perlman's face. Like, that's why I want a 4K TV. Ron Perlman, <laughs> come on. Uh, they discover, apparently, because she turned into this gargoyle thing, that she is a demon, not a witch. So, uh, apparently, there's a demon that has possessed Anna, and uh, now they're going to read an exorcism thing from the Book of Solomon instead of the witch thing. So... They search the monastery and realize that the demon wanted to come here. It was its plan all along. And uh, as the priest dude tries to exercise the demon, it raises the dead bodies of the monks that are around and attacks them all with it. The demon like snaps the priest's neck while he's reading the exorcism thing and um, also kills Ron Perlman. But Kay, the new night boy, picks up the book and continues the ritual while Cage fights the demon. Uh, Cage, like, pins the demon to the wall with two daggers, just stabbing it in the wings, and he's just like, finish the ritual! So, this demon that has the power to melt metal bars, uh, can't get out of being pinned to the wall with a dagger, even though it could presumably just melt the dagger. But, um, it's successfully exercised, but, um, Cage is killed in the process, and Cage... Oh, honestly, during that whole fight scene, you totally forgot Ron Perlman got burnt. Crisp to ashes oh yeah i did say that the demon killed him but i i might have been looking at my phone or something i didn't see exactly really burned him and turned him into ashes and i'm surprised nick cage after that moment didn't uh didn't say you witches <laughs> you witches bring back your goddamn powers <laughs> so cage and perlman both die but k now takes the freed anna back to the city with the book of solomon And I guess this is, according to the movie, canonically the reason why the Black Plague stopped in Europe. Honestly, when I first saw that, like, heard that moment, it's like, oh, the Black Plague's going, and then witchcraft. I'm just like, I know this is for a narrative plot of a movie, but do we really have to bring, like, the level of scientific knowledge back to the 16th fucking century? Like, can we not do that? (laughs) 
Yeah, they really didn't need to say that at all. In fact, they didn't even have to say this was the the Black Plague. They could have just said it was a town infected with the plague or something, you know? But Or they could have just said it was just some random disease that wasn't the Black Like, it could have just been a disease that gives you, like, a fucking, like, unicorn dick on your forehead or something. It didn't have to be the Black Plague. I wish it was that. Holy shit. <laughs> That's a, actually a really good idea. Hell yes. <laughs> we should make a movie about a disease like Plague, and we just, like, buy, like, a bunch of, like, just 12 inch long like rainbow colored dicks and put it on our foreheads like this disease is killing all of us <laughs> will it be a porno no it's no it's not a porno and no one really ever mentions the phallic symbol <laughs> it's phallic just symbol phallic symbol. yeah in this movie it's like what is this disease phallic symbol. <laughs> 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 oh my god but yeah uh that's that's the whole plot of the movie um and everybody's overall thoughts on this one um, this movie, honestly, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I was honestly more entertained than I thought, but it is a movie that's very full of tropes and it is not a movie with a whole lot of originality. And in fact, a, a really funny detail I noticed is, um, so I don't know if you guys know, but Nick Cage was supposed to be Aragorn in the original, in the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, I didn't know that. And I'm shocked. I didn't. He was robbed. He was, he was, uh, the first casting choice of Peter Jackson, but, and he turned it down. Um, and I think, he looked a lot like Aragorn in this movie. It's a Nick Cage version of Aragorn. Yeah, just aged like 10 years. And let's face it, I mean, a lot hotter than Viggo Mortensen. Like, we can all agree on that. Absolutely. Um, and the CGI in this movie was, frankly, very terrible. It was not very good. Yeah, <laughs> um, bad CGI it, even for the time. Yeah, by 2011 standards, I mean... You know, Avatar even though it's a bad movie, like the year beforehand, it was literally just gonna mention Avatar. Like Avatar, even though it had a way bigger budget, but that CGI in that movie still holds up pretty well, to be honest. Whereas, yeah, this movie, like I, I bet you we could do better CGI on our like. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some YouTubers <laughs> like an intro that do some our... really fucking insane stuff. So, <laughs> like, uh... yeah, so this it was really bad. The story was really boring, not super interesting. Um, the characters were not very well fleshed out. I would not recommend this movie uh, just because of how not intriguing it is. Mm -hmm. But it is it, the action scenes and like stuff like that are better than like Outcast, for example. I know it's a, a very high bar to set. Yeah. Um, but... yeah, it was definitely a step above at, at the very least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, it literally got double the Rotten Tomatoes critic score. That Outcast <laughs> That's did. true. Oh, my God. You know. <laughs> Honestly, like, I feel like this movie is begging to be compared against Outcast because they're both about, like, disillusioned oh, no. crusaders, like, on an escort mission to some random location. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the director of Outcast was like, okay, what if what if we did Season of the Witch, but um, I made it cooler, and then he tried yeah. that, and it turned out way worse. And every everyone is Chinese except for the two main characters. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Mike... <laughs> Any thoughts on this? Um, I mean, it was an okay movie. Like, it wasn't terrible, uh, but it was really boring. Um, and it was, you know, hard to hard to stay focused throughout a lot of it. But um, I mean, as far as Nick Cage Crusade movies goes, it's uh, one of the top ones we've watched. Um, Absolutely, I would I would agree with that. And uh, yeah, it just you know, it, nothing about the movie uh, stood out enough for me to say like this is worth returning to. But um, it was funny that when I was looking, I was looking at the reviews and I saw a lot of people applauding it for its originality. <laughs> um, and I'm not exactly sure they just, I guess, haven't seen or read 
anything. So <laughs> um, watch anything, like any any movie, any like uh, like high fantasy like movie or story from the two thousands has done all of these tropes, but better. Yeah, yeah. If this is if this is like a completely original story to you, uh, you're gonna be blown away when you see other movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I honestly, you'd be blown away by watching a bad porno parody of some of those high fantasy films. Yeah. I thought you said the movie we're making isn't a porno. No, no, we're we're making a porno, but I I don't want this disease pandemic to be in the Middle Ages. I want it to be now. Ah, uh, oh right, okay. So yeah, um, my thoughts. <clears throat> this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. No doubt, very <laughs> original, right? <laughs> Incredibly original. <laughs> Uh, it was uh, it was pretty boring. Nothing about it stood out really, and the fights were not particularly interesting or particularly bad. There's very little substantial plot, and the main bulk of everything that matters doesn't even start until halfway through the movie. All of which add up to being one of my favorite movies of all time. Ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. You've watched ten movies uh, in your life. Is what you mean. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I think that's all I have to say about this. Uh, Dave, you got a summary of this one? Happy Gilmore is an aspiring ice hockey player who lacks on-ice skills other than a powerful slap shot. After another failed hockey tryout, Happy's girlfriend leaves him because of his hockey obsession and lack of success. Gilmore's grandmother has not paid her taxes for years and owes the IRS $270,000 in back taxes. The IRS repossesses her home and intends to auction it off in 90 days unless she can repay the full amount. While repossessing it in Grandma's furniture, two movers challenge Gilmore to a long drive contest using his grandfather's old golf clubs. With an unorthodox slap shot style swing, Gilmore hits a ball that strikes a house some 400 miles away, winning $40 after the movers bet he cannot do it again. As a result, he starts hustling golfers at the driving range. There, he meets Chubbs Peterson, a club pro and former golf star who lost his right hand after an alligator attack. Chubbs convinces Gilmore to enter a local tournament to earn a spot on the pro golf tour. Would you like me to continue? Um, <laughs> I, I no, I think I got the gist of it. Um, I'm not really sure how you got that out of this movie, but um, that is a deep analysis. Uh, well, I've been paying close attention because my contract says I have to. Oh, yeah. Yes, I mean, sword fighting uh, is a lot like street hockey, if you think about it, with the swinging of the sticks. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, killing children. <laughs> I know I kill kids every time I've ever played street hockey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you play it right, if you play it hard, you're whomping kids on the head. <laughs> uh, Mike, you got some reviews there for us? Yeah, I got some uh, I got some reviews here. Uh, a lot of people had a lot of thoughts about this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love to hear They're not necessarily coherent, but I'll do my best to <laughs> translate. Um, so the first one I have is from Amazon customer uh, who titled the review, I Roll. Um, this was written tree emoji so you had to type it out and they say uh, a group of men is cautious around a girl they put in a cage and that was uh, that's the review (laughs) (laughs) a group of are are they sure they watch the same movie and not one made by kink.com they weren't necessarily cautious I mean maybe cautious about the girl because she's had so much cooties but i don't know got a uh, review here from barbara brown uh she writes broken dvd 
the DVD broke up toward the end. I would like a new one sent. Barbara Brown. <laughs> so, uh, she probably watched most of it. Yeah. But, you know, there's there's a lot in the, the end uh, of the movie, the third act uh, as a whole, that you, you really need to see to believe. So, mm-hmm. um that's where Hopefully it gets she got that really good. That's how it earned its top spot in my 10 movies I've seen. I have a review from Petita, um, who wrote a review called One Star. Uh, <laughs> she titled it One Star? Yeah, it's called One Star. <laughs> yes. Hey, let, me, let me finish let me go real quick. So she gave it five stars, but she titled it One Star, right? Um, something like that. I mean, with a name like Petita, you don't really know what their intentions are. Petita said, I didn't like... Good, I did pay high price at the movie theater to see this movie. Um, Wait, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I'm gonna I'm gonna hazard a guess. I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and say they were trying to say, good thing I didn't pay a high price at the movie theater to see it. But what they wrote was, good, I did pay high price at the movie theater to see this movie. <laughs> yeah absolutely that's why they give it one star objectively the best rating because a star gives us life and if we had two stars it would be too hot yes uh amazon customer uh uh, wrote didn't order this video cancel immediately (laughs) (laughs) Um, so okay so here's here's a level of like grandpa internet that i don't even know was like achievable so they're asking for a refund on some of them, but they're just doing technical support from Amazon in a fucking review. That's incredible. <laughs> and also, they, they claim that they didn't order this video, uh, but the review outs them as having a verified purchase. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> figure that out, I guess. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, it's like one of those memes where it's like, well, that was a lie. That was clearly a lie. <laughs> Uh, I have one from E. Tony E. Uh, who who titled their review. It's like alcohol free beer. Awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> that guy was absolutely from Wisconsin. That's absolutely a Wisconsinite film. Yeah, I, I did write this. Um, <laughs> so uh, I said, you know, that alcohol free beer is like bad, man. Well, that's the same as Nick Cage running around with a long-haired wig on and a sword in his hand. <laughs> I, hey, I don't uh, think that was a wig. That was his hair. Yeah, I mean, his hair is a wig, but yeah. <laughs> um, oh, okay. I guess I'm an idiot. Don't worry. Well, no, no doubt about that. I got two more for you. One from is Mishu. Uh, uh, one is from Mishu, I should say. Uh, who rated it five stars and said, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. So Jess may be a new friend for you. Yes. <laughs> she, she's seen 11 movies. <laughs> and Mishu writes, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I literally carry it with me on a flash drive in my purse. <laughs> um, Why? It's just so awful. From the wigs to the accents to the lack of accents to the special effects to basically every moment. This takes place during the Crusades, and one of the characters has a very pronounced New York accent, and it's perfect and amazing. Okay. Uh, there's whiplash on nothing that one. more than uh, showing this film to someone who has no idea what it is. Nick Cage plus Ron Perlman equals cinematic mania. Hell yes. Uh, and my last one is from House Goats R Us. 
um, who wrote a review called Not Great Theater, But a Fun Story. Um, and House Goats says, okay, so I'm a sci-fi fantasy action pseudo-historical geek with a taste for the occult. Mm. And this movie fits that bill perfectly. Plus, it's Nicolas Cage and Ron Perelman. <laughs> what else do you need? Oh, a cute chick, and she's there too. <laughs> oh, God. With that review, was wearing Oakley sunglasses, a fedora, and a trench coat. <laughs> Like seriously, that was the most next beard film review I've heard in a hot minute. True. Yeah, there's a cute chick and she's there too. Hell cute yeah. chick and she's hot as fuck. And she'll fucking fucking burn you, bro. Yeah, kind of like my ex-wife. <laughs> yeah, she has fat fucking gazongas, bro. Oh, those, those are some amazing reviews, though. Very, very informative. I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we learned a lot um, about. We learned to cancel people- immediately. <laughs> we we learn from these reviews how your everyday person consumes media and how they react to it. Um, and it turns out that uh, people are having a hard time out there. Absolutely. And so I, I extend my condolences to anybody who got this movie and did not order it, even though they definitely did. <laughs> uh, so I think that's all we have to say about Season of the Witch. Um and we've heard from all Amazon has to say about it as well. So uh, we're going to take a short little break and then we'll be back to you with Fredger's Friday and Army of One. I want to take one quick moment to plug my new cookbook, Seasoning the Witch, <laughs> uh, in which we tell you how to perfectly cook a woman. Oh, <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We're here. We're going to talk to you about Army of One. Before you introduce anything here, Jess, I am so fucking excited to talk about this fucking incredible film. Oh, yes. So this one came out in 2016 and is rated R. Wait, wait, how? I don't know. I don't really know why this movie is rated R. It actually was less violent and gory than the previous movie. I think you get an R rating automatically if if you say the word fuck more than once. Yeah, they they must have had two fucks. The movie gave two fucks. <laughs> exactly and precisely two fucks. Yeah. Uh, directed by Larry Charles. Hell yeah. Yeah, the guy who directed fucking Borat, Bruno, like uh, yeah. uh, Religious, the Bill Maher fucking documentary or whatever. He's a producer for Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm. And then uh, he's in like all the Seinfeld special features that I have watched. <laughs> uh extensively so don't question that <laughs> but yeah uh so this was produced by condenast entertainment which i had no idea they did like video production yeah, and movie production shit the same people that own reddit fucking produce this movie what yeah it's that is really fucking strange to me i knew the mostly is owning like a ton of magazines and shit uh um, bizarre mm-hmm did not expect that at all yeah it's like if if you don't know them they own like vogue the new yorker gq uh wait pitchfork or condon nast owns pitchfork too wow okay oh my fucking we need to stop talking this is get this is gonna get into some conspiratorial shit we need to move on magazine and they own bon appetit 
Stop! <laughs> I can't take it. There's so much conspiracy already. <laughs> Anyways, they, do they own bees for build? Not that I see on here, but I don't know no, if they could. Bees for build, not the bees for build. <laughs> so this movie has a runtime of 93 minutes. Uh, I could not find its budget or its box office gross. So you know what that means automatically. Yep, automatically is declared to be in the red, meaning that eleven out of thirty-eight movies thus far have been in the black. Twenty-seven movies have have not made as much money as they cost to make. So this one is an interesting one on Rotten Tomatoes. The audience and the critics agreed exactly. Twenty-five percent from both. Yes. Oh fuck. Twenty-five percent. That is. Is that the first time we've had that on the show? Yes. Maybe the audience was like disguised as critics when they went to go see this one. Considering that the box office and budget weren't, I assume the only people that saw this were critics. So automatically were the audience. Also, this definitely felt like a, a direct to video movie. I'm not sure if it was actually in the theaters. Oh, you would be, would you be shocked to find out that that's exactly what, what happened with this movie? <laughs> I would be honestly aghast. <laughs> well, you Correct. It was a direct-to-video on demand. That makes sense, honestly. I don't remember seeing any trailers or hearing about this at all, but I can't say that I remember hearing anything about most of these movies. So. I hadn't heard this movie at fucking all until it was going to be. I hadn't on the even night. heard of the brave hero that this movie is based off of. And yeah, he apparently there's... did a, a whole press junket about his experience. Four. I was going to say, before we get into that, we need to watch the whole movie because I have some fucking opinions on Nick Cage's portrayal of this 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 brave, lovely man. OK, uh, so, Mike, do you have any trivia for us here? Um, not a ton uh, on this one. Um, it was written by Rajiv Joseph and Scott Rothman, who wrote the 2014 Kevin Costner picture draft day, um, if that interests you. Um, and. The only other thing that I could find about it uh, was that uh, the movie would have been Nicolas Cage has claimed uh, that the movie would have lot been a lot better if Larry Char Charles had gotten a final cut. Um, I'm, so I'm sorry, I thought you were going to say Larry Summers, and I'm like, wait, what? what <laughs> Larry what? Sanders. Uh, say, what about what about Bill Clinton's former economic advisor and friend of Jeffrey Epstein had anything to do with this movie? Uh, well, the, wait, was it this one or Season of the Witch was a Weinstein uh, movie? Um, so it was it was Season of the Witch because Dimension Films is owned by Bob Weinstein. OK, <laughs> well, so the conspiracy goes deeper, in my opinion. I mean, Bob Weinstein is the non rapist that we know of. So I mean, Harvey was a rapist. I, I'm not confident enough to call uh, any producers not a rapist until proven otherwise so yeah I'm, i mean i mean come on dude don't don't talk shit about brian singer because i know how much you guys are <laughs> brian singer on this we are uh we're big brian singer fans and stands on this show um we love his films uh even more than he loves a uh, little kid <laughs> so he, he loves taking care of little kids he's a really good babysitter he's in fact before he became a director he was a professional babysitter right yeah, he uh, the Babysitters Club was about uh, an organization he used to run, um, where they would uh, you know just get a, a directory of young girls and they would yeah, babysit them. A directory of young girls that were that you could babysit and sign up for online, uh, so you could have a like babysitting service. 
right? Yeah, but it was weird because on the babysitting service, each child had a hotness rating. Um, oh, it's it's which, hot because you don't understand that was that was during the time when there was a big influenza outbreak, so everyone needed to know their their temperature so that they could like monitor that just in case. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think um, if you go in the Wayback Machine on that website, uh, John Benet Ramsey um, actually debuted on that site. Um, so oh, she debuted. She was actually the very first girl to be on that website. She was a uh, she was the um, the, the 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 poster the child. Yeah, she was the test person. Yeah, so it yeah. was. Coincidental that she ha- had a miserable end shortly afterwards. So, yeah, and, and had, that had nothing to do with Brian Singer, uh, the man is a saint, um, with just a very sinister taste. Uh, so, sinister taste in, in in the movie that he directs. He directs usually very dark pieces about very complex characters. Yeah, very complex uh, X Men mutant characters. Yes, absolutely. Um, sorry, and... yes, we were talking about this incredible figure, and we interrupted your description of this film yeah uh well so trivia i apologize that was all the trivia that i had Uh, nicholas cage apparently was very adamant that um larry charles um should have overseen more of the final product of this movie um which apparently he didn't for unknown reasons so uh sorry larry charles that your vision wasn't fully realized but you know what it's a banger baby Talk, talk about a vision. I mean, he got a he had a vision from God to make this movie. Yeah, and oh, God, yeah. Uh, definitely God. Who I knew, I knew Russell Brand was in this movie, obviously from the poster. Uh, but when I heard uh, God's voice at first, I thought it was uh, uh, Ricky Gervais, and I thought they were being cheeky because he's like super atheist and was playing God or whatever. And then I was like, oh no, that's just one of the other British ones. <laughs> so, oh, He's so cool. Speaking of, I'm, I'm sorry, keep going. Uh, there are a lot of people in this movie that you probably recognize. Like, um, well, another big one is a uh, Wendy McClendon Covey, who you might not know the name, but she was in a uh, Bridesmaids. Oh, I, I when I saw her, I'm like, oh, that's that chick from fucking Reno 911. Reno 911, baby. Oh, yeah. Reno 911, Bridesmaids. Uh, Rain Wilson, Dwight from The Office. Russell Brand, uh, Paul Shear, who. I mostly you know, know from comedy bang bang appearances, but <laughs> I know him from uh, how did this movie get made podcast. And I think he was on like, I oh, love yeah. the nineties, eighties back in like VH one back in the day and shit. So yeah, he does the big, how did this movie get made podcast <laughs> and a few other ones. And he was on nailed it. Um, and it's just a major cutie. Uh, Will Sasso from mad TV was the other buddy yeah. in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Will Sasso, another recurring character on cage fight, an actor. Um, well, I'm very, uh, strong in my stance that Will Sasso should be in more movies. Um, oh, you know, Will, so. Will Sasso kind of rips, uh, his, he had literally one of the only good Vine accounts. Yeah, he was, Wait, uh, I didn't and, know he had a Vine account. Well, his Vine account was fucking incredible. It was really funny. I'm not even joking. And he's the, probably the best Kenny Rogers will ever see. Um, I remember Bo Burnham's Vine account actually being pretty awesome, but... Well, I said I said one of the only, not the only, but his uh, Will Sasso's Vine account was really good. Yeah, I was a big... Uh, I like Logan Paul, Jake Paul. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you want to talk about child-raping scumbags, and Brian Singer's not one of them. I mean, we could talk about Logan and Jake Paul all fucking day. Those guys are real pieces of shit, unlike Brian Singer, who's a saint and just an incredible, incredible figure, who is 
going to eventually run for president on the Democratic primary I, tickets. I didn't know the Paul brothers were rapists. I just knew they exploited children. Uh, I mean, they look like rapists. I, I mean, let's be honest, though. If you're if you're like a former Disney person and you exploit children for their money, you're also exploiting them for their fucking like bodies. Let's be honest. I suppose. Yeah, I don't Logan think Paul. You don't exploit both. <laughs> Logan Paul's in a movie that just came out that is a remake of a Nicolas Cage movie uh, called Valley Girl. Oh, so. Logan Paul actually just came out and remade Lolita, and it's 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 not what you expect. <laughs> is it uh, the Jeffrey Epstein Lolita? Um. Well, Logan Paul was originally the the first male person on the Lolita Express. Oh. Uh, okay, we're we're getting off topic again here, pretty hardcore. Um, but this movie is about uh, a guy named Gary Faulkner, who is a real person, an ex construction contractor who uh, got what he believed to be a message from God uh, to go capture Osama bin Laden and bring Osama bin Laden to justice. Gary Faulkner is played by the illustrious, eponymous Nicolas Cage. Yes, the Cage that you know of from the title of this podcast, and you may have heard of if you've listened to this, but I, we are off topic quite a bit. So, but <laughs> I, I will before, before I get into the analysis of this character... I will say it is really brave of Nicolas Cage to play an Adam Sandler character in a movie. <laughs> he, he straight up, uh, you could tell he wasn't doing any of the lines. It was overdubbed by Adam Sandler. Oh. Um, and Gary Faulkner and Cage's depiction of Gary Faulkner, though they don't look uh, too much the same. They both kind of look like Larry Charles, who directed uh, this movie. And I was thinking they kind of look like... Uh... George Romero. Uh, yeah, he looks like George Romero. <laughs> That's the guy who made Zombieland, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he made Zombieland. The guy, the guy who made uh, um, I Zombie, that that fucking dumb TV show that came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Years. But yeah, uh, Gary Faulkner is a real person. Uh, I think he did an interview on Letterman back in like 2010. He did Letterman, The View, uh, Fox and Friends. I was going to say, no, no, no spoilers, but if you were to happen to watch the post-roll, like, credit sequence of this movie, you might know some of those fucking things, Jess. <laughs> okay, I did watch a bit of it, but I was, like, taking notes and, you know, I had things to write, but, <laughs> but yeah. Sorry, uh, <laughs> Jess is too good to stay for the view clips. Um, so, moving on to the plot summary here. And then we can really analyze this person's character. I, I got to say, like, right off the bat, with the narration that a lot of this movie has and, like, the goofy music, it reminds me of, like, an episode of Arrested Development. Um, no, honestly, it really did. I think they were trying to go for, like, an Arrested Development tone because, I mean, in Arrested Development, they do take an excursion to Iraq. Oh, yeah, that is true. They do. But, yeah, this movie takes place. It starts in 2005. Um, Cage is playing Gary Faulkner, who is a guy who apparently, according to psychologists, is not suffering from any form of uh, mental illness. He's to uh, everyone's shock. Yeah. He's getting dialysis well, I, weekly. Oh, sorry. That's the thing. I think there's a mental illness called doing it for the lols, and I think that's why he did this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's uh, He is on dialysis because he has bad kidneys, so he's getting dialysis weekly. And uh, early on in the movie, we kind of see a lot of uh, shots of him complaining about how the u.s isn't finding bin laden faster there is an early scene where he's yelling about that in a bar and a former marine walks up and gets mad at him so cage challenges him to a knife throwing contest 
and accidentally stabs his friend Will Sasso in, in the fucking arm. And the bartender just stands there, not concerned at all that they're like throwing knives at the dartboard, which I don't think is good for it, but I'm not sure. He's a regular there. He can throw knives if he wants to. So we also see that Cage's character, Faulkner, is kind of racist and xenophobic. Uh, he's literally walks around a hardware store telling people not to buy foreign products for pretty racist reasons. <laughs> How would you buy a faucet from a country that's going through a drought? Well, and yeah, he also says some shit about people being unclean, I think. I don't know, but... In the process, he bumps into an old friend from, like, high school or something, I guess. Uh, her name is Marcy. I assume high school, but, yeah, they didn't really say. And uh, talks to her a bit, and uh, he says, like, we'll meet up for ice cream. I'll figure out where you are. Um, Wait, she is not creeped out by <laughs> no. Okay, so in, in, you're, you're missing some of the dialogue in that scene, which I think kind of really pinpoints the problem with this movie is I think a lot of the dialogue is improv, but it's improv really badly. It is definitely seems to be improv and it moves by really quickly. So I think a lot of it kind of flew by me a little bit. But um, yeah, there is some pretty bad improv. <laughs> but yeah, shortly after Russell Brand is God and he shows up while Cage is getting his dialysis to tell him to go to Pakistan and capture bin Laden alive. He's very specific about it being alive says, thou shalt not kill, remember that. So then after that, Cage shows up at Marcy's place with ice cream, um, and she's like, how did you find me? And he's like, you know, I, I'm a sleuth. <laughs> like, oh boy, I just sleuthed around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not creepy at all. Totally normal. While he's there, uh, he finds out about like Marcy's daughter, who is uh, disabled, doesn't talk. Uh, I don't know if she can't talk like she there's something wrong with her vocal cords or if she's just maybe like uh, very autistic or something. But she's also wheelchair bound. Cage is not afraid to call her a cripple every five minutes. Yep. <laughs> not at all. This, this movie is like, I feel like this movie's really far right. Like this movie is very like. It does seem pretty uh, far right sometimes. I, uh, yeah, this, this movie has a lot of issues with just everything <laughs> absolutely nicholas cage is in a lot of shit that seems pretty fucking far right sometimes and it makes me concerned about him yeah I, and i hope he's just doing it for the paycheck but he's a cop an awful lot yeah but he tells marcy about his plan to capture bin laden which involves sailing over there but first he's gonna go to vegas to raise the money to buy the boat afterwards she gives him a kiss like I don't know why she's so charmed by this insane man who found out where she lives and uh, told her about his, his plan to sail to Pakistan. Everything that he says is both uh, crazier and more offensive than the last thing he said, and it just charms her more. So, like, he rebuilds her ramp up to her door the next day after that, just starts doing it while she's still asleep without ever asking or telling her about it, but... She doesn't seem all that upset about it, which, I mean, I guess you're getting a new ramp out of it, so. He goes to it doesn't, the... It doesn't look, like, uh, tall enough to do any cool tricks on it or anything. It's yeah. just kind of like a practical ramp, which is disappointing, but, yeah, I, I mean, I guess... I was rooting for a half free. pipe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he should have made, like, a whole skating rink so she could wheel up to the house in style, you know what I mean? Hell yeah. yeah. At the you very least, a, a quarter pipe. I was gonna say do do a couple seven twenties or something on before you get into the house. Like he could have done something way cooler than what he did. Mm -hmm. So they go to the casino in Vegas, or Cage does with uh, Paul Shear and Will Sasso, who I don't know their names. That they're just them. Um, Roy and Pickles. <laughs> oh yeah, Roy and Pickles. Uh, 
And uh, Cage wakes up believing he was robbed by Colombian drug lords, but he actually just lost all of his money at the tables. So he got no money out of it. That that scene was strange. Uh, but like we do find out in the next scene from his doctor that apparently if you go long enough without getting dialysis treatments, it can cause hallucinations. I don't know if that's true. No, that is definitely true. I mean, really any kind of condition that um, really sort of alters your your homeostasis and your ability to function normally with without the proper care can cause mental like difficulties. So that's definitely a thing that could easily happen. OK, that's interesting. I had no idea that was the case. So I learned something watching this movie. Yeah, your 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 mental, your mental health and your ability to have cognizance is very much dependent on your your organs organs functioning po- properly. Yeah, if I don't get my dialysis, I'm fucking tripping balls, dude. No, I don't believe it or not. I'm not even. I don't even have any kidney issues. I just go to dialysis because I think it's fucking cool. It's fun. Yeah, it's it honestly feels warm. I, I just go to Davida to like hang out with like seventy year old fucking formerly alcoholic spinsters. Exactly. So he goes to his doctor, and while he's talking there about all this, he asks the doctor to lend him $1,000 so he can buy the sailboat. And when the doctor says that's crazy, he goes, oh, yeah, I came up with that excuse. I'm doing it to buy an engagement ring for this girl I really like. And the guy's like, "Okay, I'll lend you $1,000. I don't know if this part of the story is true or not, if he got the money for the sailboat from his doctor. But who is on good enough terms with their doctor that their doctor will just lend them $1,000? Um, I don't think that is a I don't think that's a thing that would ever happen. Like there is there is a lot of patient like doctor confidentiality stuff where a doctor would never give money to a patient while they're in the fucking office. That's not going to happen ever. My ever. doctor pays my doctor bills, so it's pretty fucking chill and rad. I wish yeah, I, I mean my, my doctor gave me a couple hundred bucks once to just like tell and like gave me like hush money after he fucked me, but that's the only time that's ever happened. God. Okay. <laughs> so he uses that thousand dollars and goes and buys a sailboat, which he takes out sailing. Um, and immediately capsizes, <laughs> essentially. Um, he washes up on the shore of Mexico, and uh once he's back home, he I think he moves in with Marcy. I don't they never really explicitly state that he's doing that. But Yeah, he's just like always crashing there. Yeah. Apparently, Cage develops a very close bond with Marcy's daughter, who I think is named Lindsay. I don't remember exactly, but um, wheelchair girl. Yeah. Cage and Marcy confess their love for one another. And uh, they they begin a relationship. I got to be honest here. I'm so fucking confused on what she sees in this man. <laughs> but Yeah, well, that's the thing, though, is that I, I I gather that she's a very, very hardworking, basically single mother. Yeah. Um. Who, to be honest with you, she's probably so overworked and overtired that, like, she sees this just, like, mentally broken, mostly unattractive, weird man. And it's just like, fuck it. This is, this is the best I'll ever get. Yeah. It's a really depressing-ass romance. It is a very depressing romance, because she is very level-headed, and she's just trying to find someone to help support her yeah, and her daughter. Frankly, she's frankly cute for her, like, especially for her age. She can do much better. Oh, yes, absolutely. But she's stuck with uh, this guy. <laughs> um, with this winner. Who she repeatedly refers to as like a stud or uh, like super sexy all uh, the time. And you, you, you know for a fact that Nick Cage wrote that and made her say that. <laughs> <laughs> 
so they start a relationship and uh, late at night he sees Russell Brand again who orders him to buy a samurai sword on the shopping network. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Russell Brand, um, God, I know it's a little bit redundant, but we really do have to emphasize just how amazing that casting was to make Russell Brand God in this movie. Yeah. It just makes sense. It really does. Uh, Cage Faulkner buys the samurai sword. And uh, also decides that he's going to hang glide from a mountain in Israel into Pakistan for his next entry into the country. So what what a lot of people don't know is that Israel, like the highest point in Israel is roughly 55 miles tall. So you could theoretically paraglide into Pakistan from there because there's just so much like room to descend. True. Uh, It is pretty tall. I don't know if you could get quite the distance that you need to. But I think you honestly could. I feel like you could take a, a few updrafts for a few thousand miles to easily get to Pakistan. Okay. We'll have to test it out in uh, Just Cause 3 to <laughs> see if it works. <laughs> but he goes to a sporting goods store and buys a hang glider. It's a giant American flag hang glider, and uh, it seems perfect for him. Yes. He doesn't ask any questions about the hang glider. He asks the store clerk what songs he should play from his jukebox to pump him up. <laughs> Well, uh, and he also he also alludes to the fact that he's he plans on cutting the uh, hang glider up and reassembling it once he arrives um, yes. in Israel, which he is advised to not do. Yes, he is advised to not do that. <laughs> but um, also the store clerk suggests Tom Petty as music to to go to, which I find interesting because he does cut the hang glider into pieces and goes back to, uh, he flies out to Israel, much to Marcy's chagrin, with his samurai sword. And I'll be damned if he's not free-falling on that motherfucker. Oh yeah, he is free-falling, which I gotta say, I don't think they got the money to license free-falling, but the song that they play in the background, it's the same chords. I noticed that, so it was a little touch. <laughs> So uh, he gets there, he gets into flight, and because he broke it into pieces and basically duct taped it back together, it immediately breaks apart and he breaks his leg. And uh, he, when he flies back home, he's living with Marcy again and decides to give up on his mission and help Marcy around the house. But almost immediately changes his mind when uh, Russell God shows up. And he's pissed. Yeah. And he's fucking mad and says, like, uh, you know, you got to go through this plan or be smitten or smited i don't know what the what is that the present participle of oh he'll be smitten all right <laughs> yes <laughs> so then he shows up drunk to a very angry marcy to tell her his plan and that he's going back to pakistan again and she is just not happy about it so this time he actually decides to get a visa to pakistan and fly there and he checks into a hotel and then decides to do some recon but mostly just Fucks around and does weird shit. Does a bunch of drugs. Um, he, he's trying to look for molasses, but he's trying. He accidentally gets mo asses. I think that's what oh, happened. Yeah. Tons he, of mo asses. Molasses for chicken wings. Yes. You know, is that a thing? I don't know. I don't have a chicken wing recipe. I'm uh, some kind of sauce to make uh, the most American fucking chicken wings you have ever had. Apparently. The word molasses is really offensive to people who don't primarily speak English. I don't uh, really understand what that whole bit was even supposed to mean. I think it was that he was saying molasses and they thought he was calling them a jackass. 
Um, Which, first off, if they can't understand molasses, they're not going to understand the word jackass, too. And also, he's very proud to be called the jackass in this entire movie. He identifies as a donkey. Oh, yes, he does repeatedly say that his spirit animal is a donkey or some shit like that. Uh, His dad called him a donkey. His father called him a jackass. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, I mean, maybe his dad was trying to call him molasses for all we know. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. So on a second day, he's robbed. And shortly thereafter, he threatens a group of people with his sword. For some reason, he thinks he's saving a woman. I don't know exactly. But word about this passes to the local CIA headquarters in Islamabad because he apparently disrupted an ongoing investigation that the CIA had there. And they decide to capture and, quote, neutralize him. I've got to say, all the jokes that they made in the CIA headquarters, they do seem like rift, uh, like they were improv, and they all fall really flat. I I was kind of cringing, personally. Yeah, it's, I mean, like, Larry Charles went from directing The Dictator to this, which I feel like was also probably largely improvised, but Sasha Baron Cohen is a very different example of... The, the type of person who can just, you know, improvise a movie. And uh, none of the people involved in this one really uh, uh, strength. Yeah. Cage gets another vision from God, um, steals someone's motorcycle and disrupts an entire like market. And he's then arrested and turned over to the CIA, who uh, then revokes his ability to travel anymore and are going to send him back to the U.S., However, as Cage is leaving his hotel, the hotel security guy is shot. And apparently this was just like a dispute between the hotel security guy and another guy over. They say it's over a goat. Uh, so the movie's just kind of being racist, I think. But um, oh, oh, you're telling me this movie's racist? Yeah. A lot of this movie's depictions of, of Pakistan and Pakistani people are not. Uh, they're, they're certainly not PC. They love to party and they'll fucking shoot you over a goat. I don't know what is uh, offensive about that. So after that guy gets shot, Cage assumes that it's Al-Qaeda out to get him because he's there looking for Osama bin Laden. And he flees somewhere into the countryside in search of bin Laden further and falls asleep in some field and dreams that he defeats bin Laden in a sword fight. Um... But uh, he then wakes up in a hospital with the CIA agents there. Uh, obviously, you know, the dream, it was a dream. It wasn't reality. He didn't actually even find bin Laden. Uh, the agents escort him back to the U.S. And he is immediately swarmed by the media upon returning home. At one point, he references a movie being made about him starring Nicolas Cage. Yeah, when, when he's at the bar being like, I, they, 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 uh, they, they asked me what type of people should play me. And I said, Nick Cage. And I'm like, dude, come on. Like, I don't mind fourth wall breaking meta stuff, but that just fucking sucked. And, and he says specifically Nick Cage in Con Air. Yeah, yeah. He's talking. He's like, don't you think Nick Cage in Con Air looks kind of like me? Um, you know, honestly, I didn't know that you I didn't know that you guys wrote the part of the script for this movie. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> That was the part that we wrote, so thank you for your kind words. Yeah, they Um, brought us on as consultants. And also the guy, uh, the actual Gary Faulkner, doesn't look anything like Nick Cage. and not only does he not look like him, he doesn't sound to really act like him either. No. Yeah. 
like what like i said though is that like nick cage plays a shitty adam sandler character in this movie he is nothing like the actual gary faulkner who is a weird guy but is a mostly like soft-spoken grand almost grandfatherly looking dude yeah yeah he looks like jerry garcia (laughs) yeah like what the fuck kind of role like did nick cage not know who gary faulkner is like Listen, I think I might know who this guy it might be like in real life and just did that. Like, hey, uh, Nick, watch these uh, um, interviews of this guy. And he's like, no, I know. I got it. I got it. (laughs) It's like it's like going to a test in the morning and not studying. They're like, you know what? I'm going to fucking ace this fucking test. This guy definitely sounds like some nasally prick, probably. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, what's really weird about it, too, is that like this wouldn't be so jarring if they didn't put interviews at the end of the movie in the post credit sequence yeah the fact that they juxtaposed those immediately i was like wow he doesn't really sound anything like nick cage that was, that was a baffling design decision that's one of the most confusing decisions in a movie i've seen in a long fucking time i just don't even understand it mm-hmm. so yeah this uh i don't know if you guys are ready for the the your opinions on this movie but this movie was a fucking train wreck i did oh. not like this movie Oh, there's still a little bit of a of, uh, plot, but he tells Marcy he's going to go back to Pakistan to finish the job, but he sees on the news that bin Laden has been killed. Um, so it's 2011 now. And I actually remember watching TV when that report came on. Uh, Dude, I remember it was like all over the fucking news. And I remember uh, when I was in school and I've always been like a very like anti-imperialist type of like, you know, uh, uh, sort of anti-American when it comes to like conflicts. And I was like, I mean, yeah, we killed Bin Laden, but also, like, we were responsible for Bin Laden. And the only thing I remember was one kid's like, hey, you really think that's cool to say, buddy? How about I kick your ass? And I'm like, I don't even know who the fuck you are, loser. Yeah. <laughs> that was Jerry Faulkner. I know Jerry Faulkner. He was in high school with me up in Green Bay. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, he doesn't believe that Osama is actually dead. Uh, so he immediately sets out for Pakistan. But And I couldn't really tell what the fuck went on in the movie, but I took it that he has a change of heart on the plane ride and turns around and lives his life out with Marcy. Um, which is contradicted immediately by the text on the screen uh, that says he's using all the proceeds that he's getting from this movie to continue his quest to find and bring Ben Laden to justice. Yeah. Ben Laden. Oh yeah, Ben Laden. Uh, but yeah, which so is n- his uh, uh, witness protection name. Uh, overall thoughts on this movie, uh, Taylor? You oh, sounded ready. I accidentally said two minutes ago. Yeah, this movie fucking sucked. I hated it. It was really there was a lot of dumb racism. There was very bad, um, very bad like ad libbing and um, improv. Um, Nick Cage's performance in this movie was bafflingly inaccurate, and not even it's not even like a good bad Nick Cage performance. It's just a bad Nick Cage performance. Easily the worst I've seen on this show so far because every single movie I've seen, he's either good in a bad movie. Or he's bad in a bad movie, but he's funny in it. Whereas this movie, he was just bad. Yeah, I think all the things that I actually found entertaining about this movie uh, were not things uh, that I was supposed to find this movie entertaining. Yeah. Um, And and everything that I was, uh, you know, you were supposed to find entertaining was uh, kind of obnoxious and weird and honestly boring like you know just like just like season of the witch i was talking about how many tropes that movie has but this movie has a lot of tropes too just like the the woman who always sticks by her man regardless of how shitty and neglectful he is that's a that's a trend that's a trope i really hate in movies yeah um it's really tiring because like 
in real life, let me tell you what, women put up with not even a tenth of the shit this woman put up with in this fucking movie. I, I doubt anyone would, you know, stick by someone on their first attempt when they realized that this person was serious about sailing to fucking Pakistan. And I don't know anything about Gary Faulkner's actual fucking uh, relationship, but I, I, do, I feel like Marcy was a kind of a made up character. I don't no, I know. feel like probably a composite of like a female friend or his mom or something. She's probably not a relationship type figure. I, I think they made that up entirely for the film. Yeah. Yeah, because I it was it was a very strange cycle of uh first of all, her character uh at the start of the movie uh is an independent uh you know can't be tied down sort of character. And Gary Faulkner comes along and Proves that he is not the person that uh, you you should change your mind based off of, but she some reason is for some reason is very taken with him, uh, and throughout the movie, as he proves time and time again that uh, he is not worth the time, uh, it you know it just makes her fall more in love with him, and mm-hmm. maybe they're perfect for each other for that reason. And they're she, both stupid as fuck. Uh, she she's written with. Absolutely no agency in the story. Essentially just written there to to have some sort of subplot about him at home. Because uh, yeah. they need something for him to return to. So she's just created for that purpose, essentially. But um, this movie is pretty fucking racist. Um, do you think this movie or Rage was more racist? <laughs> um, uh, it's honestly, it's a tie. No, I, I would say Rage because at least in this movie he doesn't kill any minorities, right? That's true. He doesn't kill any minorities. Um, That's true. One of the things that I did find surprising is that his plan doesn't involve like finding and killing bin Laden, but just like capturing him, which yeah. he seems like the kind of guy who'd be like, we got to fucking skin this motherfucker. Yeah. I think I think the difference is that this movie has the type of racism that would exist in like a blue collar comedy tour special in like the early 2000s, whereas rage is just Nazi propaganda. So I think that. Yeah. Two different levels of racism going on. Yeah, there are two different levels of racism. I would say rage is probably more racist because it's very seeming. It's kind of overt. But this movie, I feel yeah. like there are a lot like, of people rage- who would watch this and not realize the racism. Was that? I don't know if you know, but Rage, the original script, was uh, entitled The Turner Diaries. I don't know if you ever heard that. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a small tone. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It it was just like a, a diaries of like some random guy last name Turner. So. Uh, oh no, not uh, Nat. Because Nat, the Nat Turner diaries would have been really fucking fascinating. The Nat Turner diaries would be fucking great. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I do feel that like Cage gets into this character that he's playing. It's not a very good representation of Faulkner, but like he's good at he's consistent. You know what I mean? So I got to give him that at least. Um, the role, I will say that like he doesn't he doesn't really ever have moments of like breaking that character while filming, which I think is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's a good character at all. Yeah, yeah it seemed at the very least, it seemed like he had fun with it. Uh, but I mean, the whole character was just annoying as shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that's our overall thoughts on that thing. Uh Mike, you got those reviews? My first one is from someone named Biddle's Escape, which is a great name to have on Amazon. Wait, what? Biddle's Escape? Biddle's Escape. And Biddle's Escape writes, Michelle, stop buying Nicolas Cage movies. It's disturbing. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, so th this guy's already like persona non grata to us. I mean, why would you even say something like that? This is a man who communicates with his wife via Amazon reviews. <laughs> uh, Great communication on their part. <laughs> That's the foundation to any healthy relationship. Passive aggressive Amazon reviews. Disturbed by uh, his wife's choice in uh, rentals. So oh, I, I do agree. I think this is the cornerstone of a good relationship, which is why none of my relationships have done this because we have not had healthy relationships. So, congrats to them. <laughs> uh, next review is from JC Stanhill, uh, and they wrote a two-star review titled "Lend Me Your Earplugs," uh, and they said, "I could not tolerate Cage's constant screaming. It was horrible." <laughs> I closed the player after 15 minutes. Congratulations to all who could withstand the high volume rant. Triple Ugg. Good old Triple Ugg. <laughs> is that a is that a scale of Uggs? Is that his rating system? Yeah, and I think uh, Triple Ugg is the highest it goes. So hmm. I guess like Michelin stars, the three Uggs. <laughs> yeah, precisely. I <laughs> the three Michelin Uggs out of three to this one. Uh, I have a review from CJ Belleville who says uh, five out of five stars. This is awesome. <laughs> N Cage nailed this role. And Russell Brand as Jesus. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I, I'm glad they enjoyed it, but I think they misunderstood a few things. Um, <laughs> That guy absolutely has a Rise Records bumper sticker, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have one more uh, from Richard Raridon, um, who says, Gary lives in my neighborhood, and I want to be friends with him. Watch this, and you will too. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, so he wrote a review saying he wants to be friends with one of his neighbors, and instead of talking to him, decided to write a review about how he wanted to talk to him. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's called anxiety. <laughs> that is, yeah, like, oh my god, there's so many like emo songs that can be written about that film review. Seriously, I, you know, have you never I written an Amazon review? Down the street, and I'm just too nervous trying to talk to. Have <laughs> <laughs> you never written an uh, uh, fucking uh, Amazon review about like the uh, the match that you're afraid to message first on Tinder? <laughs> like, well, I don't know what all uh, Midwest emo songs all started on Amazon reviews. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the original American football album was written in the comments section. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can go find that on a Amazon review for um, Con Air, I believe. I think it was reviews for uh, Too Fast, Too Furious. That's where it was originally written. Yeah, and they had that song, uh, Never Meant, uh, and then in parentheses, to review the hangover instead of uh, gone in 60 seconds. Oh, <laughs> 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 oh uh, do you have any more reviews? Uh, that, that was all I had. Uh, a lot of the reviews for that one uh, were either people that were just confused or way too excited and wrote uh way too much so yeah <laughs> okay well are, are y'all ready for the vote i am so ready for the vote and, yeah i, I uh, guess so yeah um, how about you dave you're ready for the countdown i think he fled the room 
But uh shit, I'll count this down. Fuck it. Alright. Three, two, one. Season, season of the witch. witch. <laughs> a reluctant season of the witch vote. You know, it's it's very much a Zandali situation where season of the witch is just so overwhelmingly good that it just had to beat out. Oh yes. Absolutely. Uh, just it's one for the ages. Completely overpowered. I, I, and I, I am sure that our final matchup will be Zandali and Season of the Witch, for sure. Oh, yes. Uh, and Season of the Witch, uh, which we didn't pick uh, because it is streaming on HBO now, uh, our sponsor. But, uh, but people will speculate that that's why we picked it. Yes, I, I believe yeah, people and, will speculate that. And, you know, if HBO wants to... Uh, you know, give us a little bit of that money just because of it. We, I mean, we wouldn't stop them. In fact, we would be very grateful because we just sent viewers their way. But... This and, and if I, uh, and if I, I will tell my honest opinions here because, of course, I mean, I'm, I'm always honest on this pod. I've never lied once on the podcast. Um, but <laughs> in all seriousness, though, Season of the Witch only won because even though it wasn't a good movie, it didn't actively annoy me like Army of One did. Like, Army of One was actively an extremely irritating film for me. Yeah. Um, I gotta be honest here, I almost voted for Army of One just because I had more to say about it, and I feel like I could talk more about it next time, but I had to go with Season of the Witch because it was at least tolerable. I don't know, I, I sat on my phone and wasn't just, like, watching this being like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, every every single scene in Army of One, I was always like, why is this a movie that even has to exist? I don't understand. Like I'm pretty sure Gary Faulkner is not is isn't in real life. Like, oh yeah, he got my character completely. I'm sure Gary Faulkner is extremely offended that this film fucking exists. Oh yeah, I. But he gets money out of it, so he. he I mean, I money is well, not goal, but. Well, this thing he he didn't because not only was the box office not advertised, but neither was the budget. So, and at the end of the movie, I don't know if you got to that, but there's a little thing that says this this movie was made in order to basically pay for Gary to get a new kidney. Did you oh. see that part? Yeah. Oh, I missed yeah, that. He has, a, he has a new kidney now and is using the rest of the money to continue his, his journey. Yeah, this, this, this movie was... The, the funds of this movie was given to some random Chinese doctor to, like, fucking farm organs from some, like, Uyghur, like, political prisoner to just <sighs> give to Gary Faulkner so he can go back to Pakistan and keep looking for Osama bin Laden. Mm, yeah, this movie's got blood... The movie got Uyghur blood money on it. I didn't know that. Uh, so that god what the fuck <laughs> well, why... i know this movie's terrible <laughs> nicholas cage really hasn't been involved in any good things in the 2010s that we've seen thus far oh seriously um, is he like oh you know funny uh, never mind i won't i'll get to that in a later episode but yeah no nick cage has not done a single good thing this that entire decade i swear to fucking god uh, i think mandy came out that yeah, it came out in like 2018, so it might that, that might be the one exception, but even then, it's it's real iffy for Nick Cage's career in the last decade or so. It really has. But yeah, that's uh that's all I have to say about this one. Uh, I don't know about you two if you got anything else. I think I am all set. Okay. I am fully spent. Uh no e-jack left in the tank. All right, so next time we are finally in round two, which is exciting. So we're going to see in round two, there are a couple of movies that just pass directly into round two um, because the number of movies didn't line up to a nice even bracket where everything could be in the first round. So there's going to be some movies we haven't seen and some movies we have seen. Uh, the first uh, matchup next week will be 
returning favorite Deadfall. And that will be going up against Raising Arizona, uh, a Coen Which Brothers is the movie. Number, is, is the number one seed, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's the number one seed uh, going against Deadfall. I don't know about y'all, but it's the most memorable thing I've been exposed to on this podcast thus far. It's it's one of the most beloved movies that uh, uh, amongst I mean, really us. though, Jess, are, are, are you are you fucking retard, man? <laughs> are you a, what am I a fucking retard, man? By a fucking retard? I'm, fucking, yeah. I'm very Wait, so excited. Which one won the bad movie or the other bad movie? Oh, uh, the bad, bad one. <laughs> Dope. Yeah. So next week. Uh, watch Raising Arizona and rewatch Deadfall if you're down for it. You should be. If not, just watch the scenes with Nick Cage on YouTube. They're all up there. Um, I I definitely listened to that episode, and I'm so fucking excited to watch Deadfall. Hell yes, I'm glad you are too. I have this could be a tough matchup. I have it on DVD now, so (laughs) (laughs) I bet you don't have Raising Arizona on DVD, do you? Uh, no, I don't, unfortunately. (laughs) But um, so yeah, join us for that, and also at least catch the Fred Durst cameos in Zoolander and Polly Shore's Dead. And um, y'all have a wonderful, however long it is between the release of this one and the last, and or, and the next. Absolutely. This is Taylor signing off. See you, everybody. G Force Gang, peace out. Oh yeah, shit. We haven't heard much from the G Force Gang. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> And uh <laughs> damn, that's cold. Yeah, no, 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 fuck them guinea pig wop losers. Fuck them. <laughs> uh, and this is Jess. Y'all have a good one. Bye bye. Bye. What? This has been a solid work production. Solid work. Solid work. Uh, Solid work. Hey, solid work.